Well, hi, everyone. Thank you so much, as always, the Grace Space community for joining Creating Space podcast with, with me, yours truly, Dr. Joy Bell. Uh, of course, I'm never, ever here alone, and today is no different. I have a phenomenal guest, and I'm going to have her introduce herself, but we have Kristen Lampert, and she is the founder, yes, the chief executive officer. I told you guys about that. That just simply means she's responsible for everything as well. If it goes right, yay for Kristen. If it goes wrong, oops for Kristen. But she's sort of, she's ahead of that organization. So it's parental shift. And I tell you, I have been sort of following Kristen in the shadows and then I came out of the shadows like I love all of her work and everything that she does and the passion that she has for parents um, and it really ties nicely you know I'd like to bring folks that it, it ties nicely to what we're doing here at Grace Space and so we're going to talk about parental burnout today but before we do that I want to turn it over to Kristen to introduce herself. Oh thank you so much Joy. I I'm also equally such a fan of your work and the dialogue and conversation that you spark for families and parents across the country. So thank you for the chance to connect. I'm Kristen Lampert. I uh, lead parental shift coaching. And uh, the way I describe myself is I'm a mental fitness coach for high performing parents. So what that means is that we all know the struggle of being a working parent. And I like to think every parent is high performing because you know what? It is hard to do the full-time work job and the full-time home job. And um, I try to take the struggle out of that juggle. Um, and I do that with mental fitness coaching. So it's all about how do we arrive with kind of the mindset and the frame of reference to shift from negative to positive. Um, in every aspect of our life. And um, I like to apply it more to the home life because I think that's where we get to see the impact multi-generationally on the great work uh, that we do as parents. So that's a little bit about me. You know, I love that. I remember um, there was a, a time in my life and there have been different seasons in my life where, you know, my the home part of myself got crumbs. Um, because mm -hmm. the other part of I'd given 98% of myself and it was just sort of like, where is the bed? Where is the nap? It's just, you know, so I, I love that you help parents because oftentimes, as you said, we give our very best and then the home and all those different things of which we love these, I always tell my children, you're the people that are going to take care of me when I'm drooling. Um, and so it is so <laughs> important, you know, for, for me and just because I love them. I love this. They're my legacy. They're my children, my husband, all the, the folks who pour into me that I want to be able to, to give the best of myself uh, to them. So I love your work and I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So let's just jump in. That's just what I do. Um, and there may be a time, Kristen, where I go off topic and you know, now you've known me enough to know that that may happen, but I'll just bring me back home if that happens. I'm fine with that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So what is parental burnout? Yeah. So parental burnout uh, there has been a lot of research done recently, probably over the last 10 to 15 years, that has helped us understand that parental burnout is actually its own separate clinical diagnosis. It's different than depression or, let's say, anxiety. And it's experienced much like we would think workplace burnout is, um, but it stands on its own two feet. And the definition of parental burnout kind of as defined by the Institute of Parental Burnout is my favorite. And what it is, is it's really the sustained uh, imbalance between 
parental resources and parental stressors. So when parents are in a space where the stress is incredibly high and the resources are incredibly low and they have to maintain that at a sustained or long period of time, that's when parental burnout occurs. Got it. And it shows up in the way of uh, what we hear a lot of time with parents and how it shows up is that I'm so tired. I'm so fed up. I'm emotionally exhausted. And if it's not managed or cared for, it can turn into really disengagement and loss of satisfaction or enjoyment or fulfillment in the parental role. And it can also create a disconnection in the family or with your child. That's huge. And, you know, my area is specifically working with neurodiverse learners. How do you think, what do you think about the difference between what burnout may look like for a neurotypical uh, family, right, versus a neurodiverse family and parent? Yeah. So it, in the U.S., we have a problem. <laughs> so in uh, May 2022, uh, the, the Ohio State University, Kate Golick and her colleague did a study. Um, one of the, the biggest studies that we have here in the U.S., there's been more research in Europe, um, but her study showed that about 66% of parents are experiencing burnout symptoms. And what that means is that across the board, the majority of us are already experiencing some sort of burnout. And that makes sense, right? We've all kind of went through the pandemic. We felt kind of the increased pressure of being both this like educator, parent and all that fun stuff on top of the pressures of our workforce. Um, but for parents with uh, children with ADHD, that increased to 77%. So we're seeing a much higher rate of parents with either children with diagnosed ADHD or with diagnosed anxiety, which is at about 77 or 73%. So the study shows that there is an increased stress just, you know, by having children, obviously with a clear diagnosis. And the interesting fact is that the journey to diagnosis is also incredibly stressful. So the about 72% of parents claimed that if they were experiencing anything along the potential diagnosis of a medical condition for their child, that also increased their chance of burnout. I think that's something that's so important. One of the services of Grace Space is we come alongside parents as a consultant um, and really help them. Sometimes it's just, I think something's going on. I don't know what to do. And there, there's that stress level starting to build. Um, and then you have the teacher that maybe, you know, reaches out and says, now we're noticing this. And now the stress level continues again. We're noticing and now we still don't know what to do. What's next? So all those things, I don't know that we often realize how stress is building in our bodies as more information and more data comes to us. And we are not really sure where to place that information and we don't have a solution yet for it. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And, you know, we are a problem solving society, right? So in some ways, our society is not really working with us as parents um, because we tend to be a bit more independent. We tend to drive culturally a lot of these um, discovery and process on ourselves or alone. And that can create additional stress, right? We don't know where to turn. We don't know what our resources are. Um, and so there's this kind of inequity when we think about uh, the lack of resourcing that might be available and also the, that increased stress really at those moments of uncertainty. That's so important. 
So one of the things I think it's important to, to tell parents, and I know you know the answer to all of these great things, is how can parents in the middle of these waves and information, things happening in their children, all that, how do they recognize signs of burnout? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, you know, there are, um, it's really the lack of the tools and resources that they would need um, to rebalance or to prevent it, right? So when it, we think about the internal stressors, some of the things could be, are the parents sleeping? Are they getting enough sleep? Because if they're not sleeping, that really is a huge indicator of a lack of self-care, right? Um, another area is self-care and self-management. How are they caring for themselves? Do they have the coping and resiliency skills to kind of bolster up and manage through whatever that turmoil or stress is, right? Um, so there's a lot of emotional components related to it. And what we know is that parents who are uh, potentially have a low emotional intelligence, like they just haven't, you spent a ton of time or have honed that ability are more susceptible. We also know that parents who are having a lot of disagreements with their co-parent or their partners can be an added stressor. Um, and work family conflict. You know, if you have an unsupportive uh, work environment or if your work environment's created a lack of autonomy, those things can be adding an incredible amount of stress to you. What's fascinating about parental burnout is that, you know, we look for the solutions being the opposite of that, right? <laughs> it's like, how do we bolster our sleep? How do we really prioritize self-care? How do we look at creating autonomy at work? How do we make sure that we have support in our work environment or resource ourselves with the communities and the tools and you know that are going to help support us at this stage of uncertainty. Yeah, it's interesting. I think as a parent and we're moms, right? I always tell folks when I talk with them, I'm a mom first, like so I totally get get that. But our natural inclination is to put the life vest on the other. Yeah. Um, right. So sometimes it's in the, we're talking about the home where, okay, well, you know, I'm not okay, but that's okay. I want to make sure that the kids are good, that the dog is fine, that my husband's great. And the self-care that is needed to actually, you're sort of the pulse in the home and setting the rhythm. And if you're not okay, uh, then everything else is going to be off, whether you recognize that or not. So I, I think a good point is take that life vest, say, eventually everyone will be saved, but there has to be a sense of taking care of oneself in terms of the parent in the home and the parents that are in the home. Yeah. I mean, women, we all fall prey to this, right? And we also live in a society that tells us that we should be doing all these things. The should is the worst <laughs> phrase that I think we all put ourselves on, a lot of self-judgment. And, you know, what happens is women find themselves in a space where, you know, we are lacking any of that self-care or that nourishment and that lack of not only just uh, basic self-care, but also the self-acceptance. You know, motherhood can come with a lot of judgment. And we as a society spent tend to place a lot of judgment. And I can only imagine for uh, parents of neurodiverse learners, when your kid is, you know, atypical in whatever sense that is, 
or isn't falling in line with whatever that society is, that adds an incredible amount of social pressure onto the parents. And that can really lead to some really disruptive feelings. So for us, I think there's also the question of how are we managing our internal thoughts and how are we managing kind of those internal stressors? Because it's not just what we feel on our shoulders. It's also what's happening in between our ears. <laughs> you know, it's the truth. It's sort of the narrative and the self-talk. And all the things that's happening. So, you know, I do believe uh, that parents of neurodiverse learners, they do have a different level of guilt, um, sometimes shame. And I don't know that they always recognize um, that there's a, a little level of shame and how, you know, what's wrong with my child? Why can't they be like their friends? Um, why is, why, you know, why is it difficult for, uh, why are folks not uh, inviting us to, you know, to the play dates and those sorts of things. So there's guilt, there's shame, there's all sorts of things happening that's very unique to a neurodiverse uh, family and parent. Um, so do you have any, you know, one or two things that you can specifically give that group of parents some, some tips of how to manage that, that guilt, the shame, and all the extra things that come along with uh, being the parent of a neurodiverse learner? Yeah. I mean, from, I think guilt and shame is two of the most useless emotions that we can possibly experience, right? Oh, that's so good. It's just, they're, they have no function except to keep us in a space of non-movement or growth, right? And we can internalize an incredible amount. I, If I had a wish in this world, I would love to take the mom guilt out of the language because we are mothers. There's nothing to be guilty about. We kick butt every day and we're better at so many other things because we are moms, yes. right? There's so much power and self-authority in that role. So I encourage women and parents in general, but especially for neurodiverse learners to really focus on, you know, shifting their mindset around the language that they use in their own head. I would not give those feelings power. At the same time, I would also encourage a little bit of like perspective. So we as a society live in the most inhospitable environment for parents. Mm -hmm. So the United States has some of the least amount of resources. When we think about the um, lack of universal parental leave, the lack of universal health care, the lack of you know, affordable child care, these are very real stressors that as a society, regardless of how you came into parenting, um, create an imbalance that isn't actually very typical in most other countries. So I think we have to understand we're living in an environment that puts a lot of pressure on our shoulders as parents versus having a community that resources around us. And then the kind of final point I would make on that is because we know this, we have to accept that we're not broken, the system is broken. We operate in a system that does not really support parents very effectively. And I think the, in some ways that's a little bit freedom giving because for me, when I think about it, it's like, oh, it's not me. I'm not sucking in this moment. It's, it's the fact that, you know, my, my society, this environment that I'm in, we live in a very perfectionistic culture and that culture, you know, actually increases our chance of having parental burnout. So where other cultures that don't have that level of either expectation of perfection in parenting 
or expect parenting in ourselves, like perfection in ourselves. Um, when we, we, we naturally kind of reinforce that when we interact with other parents. And so, um, I would pay attention to where's perfectionism coming in and is that really yours? You know, is that really something you want to own and hold on to, or is that something society kind of placed on you and that you need to create a better relationship to let go of? Oh, that's so good. No. Yours. Is that yours? Do you own it? Do you want, and then if you have owned it, do you want to continue to own it? Is it serving you well? Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. I think one of the things as, um, as a mom, as I'm getting older, I know I don't necessarily look like it, Kristen, but I am getting older. (laughs) I realize how much attention my children are paying to the things that I do versus the things that I say. And I think when we talk about parental burnout, we are fooled if we don't think our children know when we've come to the end or are coming to the end of ourselves and our best selves, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think one of the things that I would love to ask you is how do you communicate? I mean, just sort of transparent. How do you communicate to to your children? Listen, mama's mama's having a moment here or she's having a season or she's, or whatever that is, what are your recommendations of communicating? Maybe if you're feeling burnout, but not only just about us, but also to give them language if they ever, if they're feeling some of the similar feelings. So they'll know, oh, I, I may be feeling burnout or they'll have a way to identify because you, they've had a model. Does that make sense? hundred percent, hundred. I mean, this is the beauty of parenting, right? Like as a mother, I'm being watched all the time. <laughs> and, you know, I'm being measured by a yardstick. I have no idea existed, right? But it is, um, it's real. And what I think, you know, when we think about parenting, first thing is there are surveys you can take, and I can share that with you on how to assess your level of burnout. So think of it as a spectrum, right? If you're really high burnout, like incredibly, you need to seek medical attention. There is nothing you can do besides getting the right support and resources to, to get there. Most parents are probably in that middle range where they're experiencing symptoms of burnout and they just need to figure out how to like increase those resources, decrease those stressors. And one of the tools I use with my um, in my coaching and with my son is a process, which is essentially when I find myself in fight, flight or freeze, when my heart is going all thumpy, thumpy, and I feel that like mom rage, like nobody's business, which I genuinely feel at least two or three times a day, <laughs> it shows up at weird moments. I mean, it's always there. When I feel that, I give myself a timeout, right? So I say, okay, Kristen, take some deep breaths. Mm-hmm. And I really go back to a centering, like mini meditation. I start to feel my own senses. I get into either my sense of touch, my sense of sight, my sense of hearing, or even just hearing my own breath. And that interrupts that narrative and gives me the space to show up more present to my child. And when I do that, I tell my son, absolutely. In those moments, mommy needs a timeout. I need to calm down. Mm. Mommy needs a break. Mm. I need to take a moment for myself. And I, and, and then when I come back to him, I explain, I, you know what? I was really frustrated in that moment. I I had a hard time. I was feeling a lot of impatience. Mm. And you know, what's, I think is critical when you're talking to your child is in those triggered moments when you're like really high stress that you come back, that you don't just dismiss, you don't just distract, 
that you really re-engage and you use it as a tool. So it's, hey, I needed to self-regulate. I needed to calm myself down. But now that I did, this is my question. This is what bothered me. This is how I really, you know, would like to move forward. Um, I always tell my teenagers and I find myself, you know, that I have teenagers, Kristen, a lot of having these moments and sometimes not only giving yourself time to take a break, but sometimes you might lose your cool. Um, You might lose your cool and, and go, you know, you may come leave that and say, I I need to apologize to them. I need to, that was too far. That was too much. And so I often will find myself saying, you know what, mama, I'll react with that. Again, we're teaching them. We're providing them language for what we know they will experience in life. It may look differently for them and their paths that they take, but they will have opportunities, all stressors, and they'll have to figure out how to manage those. And also sometimes, you know what, mama makes mistakes, you're going to make mistakes, but own up to that and come back to the table and say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. Or the tone that I use was not appropriate for what just happened. And, you know, those sorts of things. So I get, for me, I'm very, very much an advocate about giving kids language um, sometimes it feels like for adult experiences, but Kristen, these kids are experiencing things now that we never had to worry about. And so where we may think, oh, that's, they're, they're fine. Like they're, all they have to worry about is their little video games and their friends. The things that they're exposed to and taking in every day, stressors alone, right? And so I think it's important to give them language. That's important to me. So I love, I love what you said about that. And I want to add to that too. I mean, like the you know, I, my son, the day before he asked me, he's seven years old and he, and I said something and he goes, Oh no, mom, you don't make mistakes. You're perfect. And I said, Oh my God, we have a real problem because I do not want my son thinking I don't make mistakes. Mm. Right. Like, so what I do as well is it's all about that repair. It's stepping back into it. Oh, you know what? I lost my cool. I'm not okay. Um, I made a mistake. And really allowing that mistake to be there. Kids need to see that one, we're not perfect. Two, they're not perfect either. Three, we can love them through it. And that whole unconditional component is the part that makes parenting so beautiful, right? There's no one better than my son who has taught me unconditional love, right? So that ability to show up in that way um, gives them permission to see and experience all types of emotion. So that, that tends to be kind of the the tool, like the, the kind of approach I have, you know, with with my son and it's a learning process, right? We're always trying to figure out, oops, (laughs) that was the wrong way. That was the wrong way. That was the wrong thing. Yeah. And then we can can course correct. Right. And we, we teach them again, we model for them. Okay. Two other things. One, one question that I want to ask you, just, just a question that has nothing to do with this. Um, So let's point our, our, community to resources. So what are some resources? So they've heard you, uh, like, you know, this is so me and I I don't know what to do with that. What are some resources that they can, can utilize? Yeah. So, um, one is obviously you can connect with parental shift coaching. Um, I provide free webinars. I have a round table that is designed for parents, um, where we just get to talk about what our, our stressors are, got tons of resources uh, for parents if they subscribe to my website. So there's a ton there. Outside of that, I think what's really important is uh, the resource of their own family. Mm. Ask for help. You have people who love you and that family is your biggest cheerleader. 
and they are going to be the ones nurturing you at every step of the way. So look at your internal network of your own connections and the critical relationships in your life and give up on a little bit of that pride mm-hmm. and ask. So I think that's really critical. Um, as far as communities, really looking for support. I think what you provide to families is incredibly important. I think finding your community, people who have shared experiences um, so that you don't feel ostracized, left out or in like disincluded in our own parenting experiences. This whole world allows for quite a diverse spectrum of how we show up as parents. There is no right way. So we, but what we can do is find the way that works for us. So finding the communities that can do that is important. Um, And then I think, you know, going to your employer and working through their resources, whether or not they have EAP programs, if they have parental support groups, some parents, some organizations do, some people have other um, resources for parents of neurodiverse learners. So you can really find those resources in your community. Um, So it requires, you know, not sitting in, looking inward and only just like kind of bolting or preparing yourself for battle, you got, you got to stretch open. You got to open your heart and look for those. Well, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for your expertise, for your heart, for your work that you're doing. Audience, wherever you are, we're going to have all of Kristen's information and her handles and how to find her in all the different spaces. And y'all, she's everywhere. So you've got to find her. (laughs) Uh, she really is. It's fantastic and supporter. Okay, two questions for you, Kristen. What is your superpower? Mm, I think that I, so like you, um, I'm able to create safe spaces. I think that that uh, ability to create a sense of acceptance and true, genuine acceptance, like I genuinely love people. I don't see fault in anyone. I think humans are incredibly fascinating and whole and creative and resourceful. So holding that space for any type of parent or any person to come into community with me is is kind of probably my superpower. I love it. So this may tie or it may not. I've, I've gotten different answers from different people at different times, but what do you think your, if you could narrow it down to one, what do you think your reason for being on this earth is? Yeah. Um, you know, I have done all that coachy work to answer that question. So I'll tell you, I believe that I'm on this earth to help people author their own life stories. And what that means is uh, when we take the pen and we write our story, there's both an act of creativity that happens, and there's also the acceptance of our past and the rewriting of our stories that best serve us. And I I think that's how, I think that's my overarching goal. Um, And I get to do it with parents mainly. So that's it. I love it. Great space community. I know that you've loved uh, this, this time with Kristen. Please look her up. We will have all of her information. Thank you so much, sincerely. I think one of the things that's important to me is to always have 
people that are in the same alignment in terms of what it is that I love and what I'm passionate about. And I'm often amazed because I don't actually tell the folks the last two questions, everybody who's listening. And I'm often just amazed and astonished. The responses are so similar um, because I've gotten to know them enough to know that we're, we're, in the, we're on the same path together. It may look different. We may serve differently, but the heart to serve others um, and to love on people and to help them um, move from one safely from one space to another is is what all of the guests have. And Kristen is no different. So Kristen, thank you so much for your time today. uh, And we greatly appreciate it. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening today.